read the 34th Psalm, maybe it's a little longer than I would usually read, just like that, but I'll read it anyway. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord after me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not afraid. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want of them that fear him. 
The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from seeking guile, speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Shall we bow our hearts in a word of prayer? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for a beautiful spring morning. We thank you that we are able to come and gather around your word. We thank you for these many natural blessings that you've bestowed upon us. We ask us ask that you would give us hearts that would remember to be thankful for these things. We ask this morning that your spirit would be in our midst, that it would open this word, that it would open our ears and open our hearts. We ask that it would feed us, that we could be refreshed. We ask that you would give us hearts that would be speaking of that message of Christ. We thank you even that you put it upon our hearts to find an importance to come and fellowship around your word. We ask that you would protect us, protect our country, lead and guide and give us leaders that would turn to you. We ask that you would give us faith that we could trust that you are in charge of all things and that you know all things. We ask for wisdom to walk, walk in good and in bad, and that we would walk, that you would be glorified, and that hearts could be drawn to that message of Christ and to salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Does anybody have a song we can continue with?
May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For a text this morning, I will turn to Ephesians to probably a familiar portion with all of us to the sixth chapter. I will read starting at the 10th verse and I'll read through the 20th verse. Reading in Jesus' name. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having all done, done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. I'm sure we've all heard this portion of scripture, and I know I've spoke on it before. And I guess it um, there's many th- many things in this in this piece of scripture, but it s- struck me, I guess, this morning a little bit different portion of it. And probably, I think, the one verse of this chapter was on the calendar that I have that has a verse every day. And it was this this 13th verse here, where it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. And we understand. We see that there is lots of evil in the world around us for whatever reason. I mean, the Bible, I guess, we read in many of those books where there's prophesying of what is to come. And I guess myself reading that, and if I just did it, and thought about it with my natural mind, it could perhaps be quite discouraging in a way because we see what's happening in the world and, and I guess, I don't know whether what it is, but many times we look forward to things improving if they're bad. And yet, what's going on in, in the world, we read in the Word of God and it, it lines up 
and it doesn't appear like things perhaps may get much better until the end of time. But with that knowledge is also given the promise that Christ says in several places and in several different ways. One that comes to mind is where he tells them that I will be with you till the end of time. So we have even that promise and that understanding that as much as it may be troubling to our flesh to see what's happening around us, we also have that promise and we can be encouraged that Jesus knows it and he has promised to be with us. And in Romans, in the end of that eighth chapter, and we can, it's quoted quite often, but it, it tells us and it goes through quite a number of things there. It says, <clears throat> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are come counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can take that portion also. And we have those promises and the part in this 13th verse I guess that struck me when I read it the other day and it seemed this morning to be there we are to put on this armor of God and I guess as as God opens perhaps we'll look into it and I know I've spoke on it before of what and how that armor I guess look at it and see in one sense how it works and we are encouraged to take advantage of it it is something that God has given us for our benefit, for our protection that we could help others, encourage each other but it says when you have done all this we put on the armor of God that we can withstand the evil that we can stand. And yes, I think that there is part of that word stand there where it's saying that we're able to stay firm. And we make that statement that you would stand against something or take a stand on something. And, and I think there is some of that in that portion there for sure. It isn't in our own strength that we're able to, if I say, take a stand against evil or take a stand against something that someone is trying to promote that is contrary to what God would want. If we're doing it in our own strength, probably one of two things will, will happen. Well, maybe, who knows, any number of things. But either we'll just get swept along and just end up going along with things or we will get radical and start doing drastic things. It's only when we are doing it not in our own strength, but we are trusting, as this says there, the power of the might of God. 
Because then we aren't trusting in what we can do. We aren't using our reasoning to combat these things or our abilities. And we can read through the Bible. And there's many places that if we take happen to look and it's revealed to us, we can see that looking at a situation, perhaps the person, whether it's some prophet or some king or whatever, it looks like a hopeless situation. Or perhaps in their mind they see that, well, maybe we could do this to fix it. But no, God has a totally different plan and takes care of it in a way that we never thought of. Or in a way that people do not have any ability to. It is in Him that we are able to do these things. But I believe that this is telling us also that we are not, we don't have to be busy. It tells us, Jesus on the cross, that it is done. And we understand that what he was talking about there was the fact that he had done all those things and he had accomplished all those things that were prophesied in the Old Testament about him. He had completed the work that Christ had laid out or I'm sorry, that God had laid out for him to do when he came here, it was complete. But then we can read in places, like in Hebrews, and it tells us, this is in the fourth chapter, it said, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entereth into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And then it goes on and talks about the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I believe in Ephesians here, where it tells us about that we are fighting, what we are fighting against as Christians. And I think it is good to be reminded of those things. If there's someone that we are perhaps in a disagreement with or in some form of conflict with it is very difficult for our human nature even if we see someone that does something that annoys us or is doing something wrong whether it's affecting us or if it is affecting us it's very difficult for us as people to not get upset with that person there's that statement that we are to hate the sin and love the sinner. And, and it is true. We do not in any way condone or go along with or agree with or condone something that is contrary to God's word. Contrary to God's 
commandments. But we don't anymore just write someone off or get in a fight over someone with someone because they've done something wrong. It isn't it doesn't make them any worse than anybody else. We're all sinners. We all do wrong. We all make mistakes. We care for their undying soul. And it is good to remember that the fight that we're having is prob is maybe with their action. It isn't with that we would want to get in a fight with them and, and this is being drastic, but say condemn them to hell. No. And I think this is why we are encouraged to put on that armor of God. Because if we read that through that armor that it speaks of, it is basically, well, you could say all of it is for your defense. It does speak of the sword. And it's always struck me as how it is speaking of a sword. It doesn't speak about a spear or a bow and arrow or something like that. The word of God here is spoken of as a sword. And I read in that other place how it is sharp and can divide very precisely between good and evil and right and wrong. It isn't our ability to do that. It is the word of God that has the ability to do that. It is that word of God that has the ability to pierce into a heart. But with a sword, for it to be of any use and any value, you have to be holding on to it. You don't just take and toss it out there. It might do something, but then it's of no use to you anymore. We are to use this word of God carefully and hold it tightly and make it that it would be precious to us. And it is what the word says that we use in situations. It makes it, I would say, so much easier. If it's something it isn't, well, this is what I think about this situation. Then, if there's disagreement, well, you have to defend it. You have to defend what you think. And very easily, especially if we feel like we're perhaps losing the argument or something, you have to get more forceful in that in your defense of what you think. If we are standing completely on what God says, we don't have to defend it. That's what God says. You can take it or leave it. And hopefully, people would take it and wouldn't just write it off as something of no value. But it also makes it much easier to not get upset with someone if we can just leave it with God. I believe that there's, well, maybe all of us in the whole world to some degree 
We want to balk God a little bit or to a greater degree. And there's lots of people who I think they spend a great portion of their life in some sort of a battle fighting against God. And it doesn't bring much rest or peace or happiness. And I was just had a situation where I saw this person and basically that is how they have lived their life is I'm going to do what I want and and basically the thought behind it and it's just human nature and pride is that if I can just do things my way I'm smart enough that things will get better and as you see their life progress now they're an older person and very near the end of their life and things have not gotten better it's just gotten bigger problems and scarier and you don't even have your youth to have energy to try to deal with these things and and yet still we see human nature they seem to have no interest in turning to God as Christians I don't think that we are exempt from balking God at times and hopefully he can keep our consciences soft so that and that we would have hearts that are attentive to that still small voice that we would listen very quickly and turn to him and trust in him because when we are walking in the will of God there is a peace that's there yes it might cause some problems in our life it might cause conflicts with Others who don't really want to have anything to do with God. We end up at odds with certain situations because, well, I think I even maybe read it last week where it said that we're not to be surprised that if this is what they did to Christ, what are we to expect as his servants? But... I can say from experience, and I'm sure all of us, I would hope, can, that when we're doing what God wants, there's a peace there. There's a peace in the heart, and that doesn't come any other way. We can do something and make it so that things are good in our life and all that, but if we're doing things that's contrary to God's will, there's still a lack of peace. But if we are walking as God would instruct us to, as the Spirit is guiding us on day to day, then I think that, one, we have probably looked into the Word of God and as we have the ability spiritually to Take advantage of this armor that we are offered by God. And then we can just stand and rest in that. As I read there in Hebrews, it says there is a rest to the people of God. We don't have to go out and try and change the world and make everyone come to faith. Yes, We would desire that, and we are encouraged to share very 
be ready always, whether we feel like it's the right time or the wrong time or any time, if there's an opportunity to share what Christ has done for us, that peace that dwells within us, that gospel message with whoever God would put in our path to share it with, that we would be willing and quick to do that. But no matter how many times we are given the opportunity to do that, or God puts someone there that we could share that message with, we can't save anyone. We can't convert anyone. We can't even convince anyone that this is the best thing for them. But, the Word of God tells us that the Spirit of God can do that. We're, we can leave that with Him, though. It's another part of that where I believe that we're to rest in that. We're to trust that that Spirit can work in a heart. We don't have to convince someone. We don't have to do whatever except share that message. I remember Patty's dad talking about even coming and speaking. And I think I've said this before. And, and he said it should be the simplest job in the world in reality. You're just to go up there and talk what God gives you about what someone else has done. And it's sort of the truth. But unfortunately, we have to bring our human flesh up here when we do it. And when that comes up here, the devil is very quick to bring all kinds of doubts and thoughts and things. But, just going with that thought a little further, it, it, it almost amazes me how God can still, in spite of my flesh, and overcome it and open this world and yet it seems almost every time that I come up here I would like to say it so you get self-conscious about it but even as this 18th verse says, says there or 19th well yeah, I'll read 18 and 19 it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, and I understand this is Paul writing this, but I can very much desire this for myself, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And I think that last few words there is the important part of that in many ways. That we would not just be speaking boldly, whether it's from this place or whether it's just sitting, visiting with someone about matters of faith or even important matters of life. And yes, we can talk boldly about things. But that we would do it as we ought to, according to what God would want. There's a difference between just being bold about something and being bold 
and I'll add confident, we, we can do that on both sides of that equation, but that our confidence is and boldness is not in our ability, but it's in that is what God says. And I believe that that is the important thing, and that that desire, not only is it there, but that we would remember to pray for those, for people. That as we share that gospel message, it is that we would share it with confidence because we know that it is so. With others, as the word of God would tell us to. And we see people and they're speaking the word of God. I remember, and I can't remember who the fellow's name was. And this is quite a number of years ago. I don't know if anyone else remembers it, but he was a street preacher in Calgary and he would stand up on some box and he had a megaphone and he would preach the word of God and people took him to court because they were annoyed with it and I can't even remember whether he won the court case or not. I think he did. He had the right to do that, they said. But in reading and hearing about that I struggle to believe that it was accomplishing what God would want. It didn't seem to be drawing people, it seemed to be annoying them. It, it makes me think of that portion in Mark, and it's where Jesus sends his two disciples to, to go to um, get ready for the, the Passover supper. And he tells them, Oh, I, can't, I thought I could turn to it here. Um, he tells them to and sends them into the to the city to to get ready for. Oh, here it is. He says, "Go into the city, and there shall you meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him, and wherever he shall go in, say you to the good man of the house, the master." Anyway, that's he sent them to see this man carrying a pitcher of water. And to me, it's a picture of each of us as Christians. We are carrying that word of life, that water of life with us. It is visible. This guy that was walking with the pitcher of water, it doesn't give us any indication that he had any idea that there was going to be someone coming and looking for that pitcher. And it was because of that that he would lead them to some place. And I think it's good for us to remember that we may not know when there's somebody who is, God has put it on their heart to look for us, for you. Why? Just simply because they're seeking that word of life. They're seeking, they're thirsting for a drink of that water of life. But we also see that this guy was just walking along carrying it. He was burying it. He wasn't slooshing it on people as he walked down the street. I'm sure that in 99 or more percent of situations, 
if you went even on a hot day down the street of any place and started splashing water on people, you're not going to get a very good reaction most of the time. And I don't think it's much different with the Word of God. But if there's someone who is thirsting and thirsty and desiring a drink, they will want a drink. They will, and we are to offer, we are to share, we are to give it. And it brings a much different reaction, a very much different reaction. And I think that that, (coughs) excuse me, that is what it is saying there when it says, yes, we are to do it boldly, but we are to do it as we ought. In Colossians it says that we are to, um, oh goodness, my head won't quote it right off and it's such a simple, such a simple thing. But it tells us, and I quote it maybe too often, but it tells us how we are to share with everyone that word of God. It says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Yes, it is to be seasoned with that salt. That we are to speak of the righteousness of God and the, the perfection that he requires but we are to do it graciously. And we can't just, we see lots of message of, and it's the thought out there, and I've heard people say it, that if God is good, how can he allow this? How, how can these bad things happen if there's a good God? And, and then in other situations, well, if God, he, he really doesn't, I'm sure, want that not to happen depends on what it is and people can justify things because it doesn't seem like it lines up with what man would want at all and it seems like it would be a better situation if we kind of move God's word over a little bit no we are to share the truth but we are to do lovingly and caring about the soul of the individual, or to do it graciously. I believe that is what it is speaking of. That is how we ought to speak. And when we are speaking in that manner, we can do it boldly. Because we are sharing what God says. And as Christians, we've experienced how God can work. And if he can overcome this flesh, he can overcome any. And when we know that, and we know and are honest with ourselves of what we recognize this flesh is capable of, it makes it a lot easier to be forgiving of others. Because we recognize that Whatever they are doing or whatever they have done, I'm just as capable and perhaps they have different struggles than I do. But there's probably things that maybe I have a problem with that doesn't bother them at all. Doesn't make them any better or me any better. 
It's just we're different individuals. That's how God's made us. And that's why it is the Spirit of God that does the work. Because it is the Spirit of God that knows what will answer in my heart. It's the Spirit of God that knows what will answer in your heart. It knows what it would take to prick my conscience. It knows what it will take to prick your conscience. And I think that is perhaps our problem oftentimes. We sh- and maybe sorry my mind goes too many directions but maybe the problem gets to be that we recognize how much we resist that spirit in certain areas and we see someone else resisting it and we think well maybe we will help it a little bit and we'll give a little more emphasis to it and and add our thoughts to what the spirit might tell that person to turn them around quickly I don't think if it isn't motivated by that spirit it's going to accomplish much except maybe resistance I I I don't know why my head's going too many directions I remember and it was when Dennis I believe he was speaking here that first time we had church here and he said something that I don't know, it struck me at the time and I wasn't speaking even, but he said that being in this position doesn't make us any better than anybody else. It just allows us the opportunity to be more public about our faults. And it's an amazing thing in a way. We find in our nature... It is contrary to God. The Bible tells us it's going to be that way. And we see the power of God that he can overcome that. It doesn't matter what it is. And if we see someone struggling, or if we are struggling, we have prayer. It's an amazing thing. We have the ability, whether we're standing here, sitting there, sitting in the bush, in the middle of a crowd of people, in the middle of town, out in the wilderness, to turn to God. In good situations, in bad situations, He's there. The Word tells us He hears us. And as his children, especially there's promises, it tells us that he hears the prayers of those who aren't against him, or sorry, that are even against him, or aren't Christians. He hears them. He maybe doesn't answer them, especially as they would want, unless it is put on their heart to pray that he would seek them. I talked someone just the other day and they said that I don't know how they worded it exactly but basically the gist of what they said is that it was almost they almost in their mind defied God to prove to them that he existed 
And it's a, I don't know, a scary thing to say it even in those terms, that you defy God to prove himself. And I don't know that it's a good thing to, to do. But in this case, God had answered that part. God can deal with us wherever we're at. He knows. There isn't a A, B, C, D, this makes a Christian. It's maybe A, C, E, B, all those things are there. We can read about them in, in those conversions that take place in Acts. And I believe that's why it's detailed for us to see that there are things that are necessary for a repentance and for someone to come into faith. And this is how God works. And he's laid it out. And as it says here, even Paul says, we are his ambassadors. The ambassador in country, if we're speaking on behalf of the country, we have the full authority of it. But we are also, I think it would be good for the ambassadors to know what it is that the country is wanting us to speak and where our country stands on things and how our country works on certain things so that we would be speaking in truth of what the country wants. And as ambassadors of God, I think it is why we are to be in the word of God. It is why we are to have attentive hearts to the speaking of that spirit so that we wouldn't be speaking out of turn. That we would be speaking as God would have us and, and in his truth. And that we would be in this word so we would know what the word says. Jesus promised that all those things that I have taught you, I will, the spirit will bring them to your remembrance when you need them. But if we've never read any of the word of God, how much do we know? And then you can get in situations where if we don't know what the word of God says and we don't have the heart to go and look at it, well, we can come up with something on our own that sounds good. But if it isn't of God, it's probably not. And it might work for a little while, but then it's going to fall apart. And to remember, as it said at the, far, at the beginning here, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And some of that struggle gets very close to us. We can find that the devil would want to bring thoughts even into our minds. That he would want us to think about things that there's spiritual wickedness. And yes, we see it in the natural sense. And, and I think if we look at the world around us, and I could name names of people that they're very contrary to God. And I believe that spiritually they are very wicked and they are in positions of power. But if we look at it spiritually, and my Bible says, has a little number there and it tells that where it says spiritual wickedness in high places, it says spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. 
And I believe that that is speaking that the devil would want to bring that even into the living church. That is his desire, that he could bring spiritual ideas that aren't of God, that are from somewhere else. And, and we see in the world around us, there's people that say, well, I don't believe in God, but I'm a very spiritual person. And they're probably right. But as Christians, we do not want to be led by any other spirit than the spirit of God. Because as soon as that happens, there's a division there. Instantly. And that's what the devil would want, this division and, and conflict. And I would hope as Christians, we would want unity of the spirit. And, and even this, I hope it... it wouldn't happen, but I think it does sometimes. There's two different personalities, and it doesn't mean because their personalities don't jive that they're not Christians. But hopefully that there is unity when it comes to the matters of spirit, the matters of God, the matters of salvation, that even if they can't disagree on what kind of a car to drive, or, or any even simple natural thing, there's no agreement. When it comes to matters of faith, there's agreement. And that can bring unity. And it is completely the opposite of what the devil would want. And, and he will very quickly bring to our mind that thought, well, if they don't like the kind of whatever something that you use maybe they're not really Christian and he wants to bring in those divisions and we can look in history at how effective he's been and my mind turns to you know, in Russia there was a division and one of the big problems that caused a great divide among the church was when they crossed themselves to use two or three fingers. And we can look at that and think, that's ridiculous. It, it, it doesn't matter. I, I can't find anything in the Bible that would give any, any justification to either side of it or any of it. And yet it causes division. I, I don't think that we are any less human. I don't think that we're any better than those people were. The devil can bring the dumbest thing and make a small crack and then just keep working at it. But, if we turn to God, if it, if it is in what God says that we trust and let the other pass by the wayside, there will be unity. God has promised that there will be. He says that that's how people will know that you're my children because of the love you have for one another. And, yes, I think the devil, he doesn't care which side of the equation that he'll try to turn you to. We can also get where people say, well, yeah, that's sort of what the word of God says, but that's, we can just leave that and not worry about that. No, there is 
the Word of God, and we can't leave any of it out to make things more united feeling. If it's a matter of what God says, we can stand on that. And we need to stand on that. And we can rest in it because we don't have to defend it. It's God can defend it. You see, when, when they came to arrest Jesus to take him to the cross, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts the guy's ear off. He's going to defend him. And Jesus tells him, no, no, that's... I can handle it on my own. That isn't what he said, but that's the gist of what happened. And he put the guy's ear back on. Peter had said that he would defend him to the death, and he was going to prove it. But it was not how it was supposed to be. We don't have to defend God's word. We just stand on it. We trust in it. We rest in it. And I think that if we just do that, people will see. And they will recognize that, well, that's not that person's idea. That's just how they live. I I remember one time, and I have to say it was, I don't think the person meant it the way that I took it, but I have to admit it was one of the if I, I don't know how to word it even, but the most wonderful compliments that you could be given. And he said that, anyway, they were asking me to do something. They said, well, there's lots of people that claim to be Christians, but I don't even know how he worded it, but he said, you just live your faith. And, they, and it's like, it's hard to believe that it could show up because we see our failings. But if we just rest in this word of God and trust that Christ can handle the rest. He will. May God add his blessing to his word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we come to our hearts and receive that action? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Somebody have a song we can close with? 